Welcome to Skunkworks, where each episode we speak with CEOs of established SaaS companies about strategies for keeping innovation fresh. Hello, everyone. Eric here. I'm the host of the Skunkworks podcast, a show where we collect stories from experienced business leaders with the intention, quite frankly, of simply inspiring and helping others along their journey. But before we begin, this episode is brought to you by Half Serious. It's a design and technology company, which I founded, and we help service companies become tech-enabled businesses. So my guest today is Nicholas. He's the CEO of Chili Piper. Nicholas, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, this is going to be a fascinating conversation. Because, and before we get into it, I kind of want you to talk to us a little bit about Chili Piper and what you think is interesting about it. What makes you passionate? Sure. We started the company with my wife. So my wife is a co-founder. And uh, usually uh, the husband is the geek and the wife the PR person. But in our case, it's the other way around. Oh, really? <laughs> She's head of technology and product and I do the sales. Uh, we started with the company with the idea that we were going to bring a that the world of sales and marketing was going to be changed by tech and she has a strong background in product development. So she was uh, VP at uh, Pearson. Before that, she did uh, some, some consumer apps by, with Bloomberg. And before that, she was uh, she actually designed the app that Steve Jobs decided to uh, show uh, when he launched the iPad back uh, in the early days. So she has so that's oh, credit. That is so, a so, pretty so, tall claim to fame. Yes, isn't it? Uh, so anyway, I thought we kind of talent. Uh, her name is Alina. We should just do a company together. So we started with, with uh, this general view that uh, we're going to change the world of sales and marketing tech, which in general is a bad idea because it's just with, with something too broad. And, you know, so you started the share. company with a bad idea is what you're saying. <laughs> with a lack of idea, okay. with, with a lot of faith. Gotcha. Um, and, and yeah, faith is the, is the way to describe it. So quickly we narrow down on a problem which is uh, what really is our core business today uh, um, a problem that, that is completely obvious but surprisingly nobody had tackled to these days I, I wonder why it's the following when people go to a website and they're interested in talking to a sales rep or get a demo they fill a form and when they submit the form they get a page that say thank you somebody's going to call you and companies then have a process to have salespeople, uh, you know find that lead, assign that lead, and then call them. But they never call immediately, of course. They call uh, anytime we've just run a research that it's, uh, some people never call, and uh, mm. some companies never call, and some, a lot of companies call several hours, even days later. And as a result, they lose the typical uh, loss is 60%. So only 40% of those who ask for a demo actually get one. So that seemed crazy to us, and we decided to solve this problem. So what so you're saying is by the time I fill that form, my my interest is red hot, and so that's you right. want to be able to convert that person right away. That's exactly right. This is the right time. And so what we did is that we built a solution with a smart uh, JavaScript that's in the page and a smart uh, backend, where in real time, when you submit the form, we take the data, we make sure you're qualified. And if you are qualified, we're going to do what's called routing, which is find the right rep that should take you. Maybe you already have an account. Maybe uh, you're on the West Coast or West Coast. And we, re we retrieve in real time the calendar of the rep. And you, you, one click later, you, your meeting is booked. So and it's confirmed. You get a, a reminders about the meeting and all. So our clients go from 40% to 80 to 90% conversion rates on these uh, demo requests. And gotcha. it, it, it's, it's, it's 
odd that nobody had thought of it before, uh, but we uh, launched that solution early on, and now we have uh, more than a thousand customers uh, who have experienced this, uh, this benefit. So people think of us uh, sometimes as um, scheduling because we do that scheduling part, but yeah. the, the hard part is this uh, qualification and routing in real time and integration with marketing and, and Salesforce uh, systems. Okay. Fascinating and so simple, but at the same time, you said it sounds obvious, but and yet no one was really solving that problem, uh, you know, the right way. And this it's full of it's full of little complicated details, of course, uh, because you don't you don't want to mess up marketing. You want to sometimes you want to route on a custom field, uh, you know, uh, like these things that matter a lot to a sales process, and and you wouldn't have thought of. So that's probably the reason why we we uh, the leaders and to these days the only viable solution for that. I'm. I need to get to the Nicholas story, but I'm fascinated by Chili Piper all of a sudden. I, it's just one question. How do you yeah. how do you deal with unqualified leads? So someone that asks for a demo, but it's not really a great fit for the company. We route them to a different page. Uh, actually, it's a very good question because we just uh, made one, one, one improvement. Um, until now, we would rather to a page that say, thank you. Uh, we, uh, For example, in our case, you have, you have a CRM. If you have no CRM, we can't take you. Uh, so we say thank you. Uh, we we are not in a position to uh, do a demo with you because you need a CRM. Uh, come back if you have one. Got and then we thought of a. So that's what we do. Is for our customers, we route them to a thank you page. A lot of customers write to a webinar sign up. So they say uh, we we you cannot do a demo, but why don't you sign up with a webinar with the idea that maybe later they'll be qualified. In our case, uh, we're this smart partner of ours who said, "Hey, I'm I'm my job is to uh, bring companies on." HubSpot or Salesforce CRM, these disqualified leads for you actually qualify leads for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so we are pretty about to implement that where when they book a meeting that disqualify, we qualify them from somebody else and say, "You, it appears that you don't have a CRM. You should get one. Why don't you get a book a demo with our partner?" And the partner. that is so smart. Yeah, that it's is, very smart. Yeah. It's a brand new thing, and like the, you know, in French, you probably know that to say. Uh, Le malheur des uns fait le bonheur des autres. Yeah. Is, you know, right? So yeah. if, if, that, if that thing doesn't work for us, it would be make somebody else is happy. Yeah. That is so such a good idea that I'm sure your wife thought of it. She <laughs> <laughs> know where the brains are, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's segue. So I really wanted to talk to, to you about a couple of things. So I know, so if I'm not mistaken, this is your fifth company, right? You've been That's around right. the block. And right. one place that you've been that I think is really interesting, which is now part of the sort of the the, the technology bis, business and technology lore is the dot-com crash. So if I understand, if I did my, my research correctly, uh, you were in a business that's about to be sold for for somewhere in the, in the $60 million dollars. And then everything fell apart during the dot com crash. I can't. That's I it. just. I'm just fascinated by by what people have, must have felt at that moment. Can you talk to us a little bit, just yeah. but more like how it felt? If you don't mind, I'll give you a bit more context. It's funny because now I'm hiring these people, and and some of them were barely born when when that happened. I know. Right? In, no, in, in 2000, and maybe they were not born, so they don't know brother. what I'm, I'm referring to. But there was this time. So I started my first company after Stanford Business School. I was actually inspired by Steve Jobs uh, when I came and I think, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to be a tech entrepreneur. I did a first company in consumer software that, that went well. But then this web was happening around me, and, and I thought, uh, this is silly. I'm doing so consumer software at the time was uh, on CDs with printing CDs with software. And say I want to do internet because internet is is the happen, happening thing. And it was uh, when I did my first company, we were one of the first tech companies in San Francisco. 
move forward uh, three years later, so in like uh, 99, San Francisco is invaded by tech companies. Like you can't find a space, you can't find a, 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 an office space anywhere. We actually had to take a, a, a body shop for cars where the, the, the lease was expiring and we kicked out all the cars, everything, and we made it an office. Like it was, oh, really? it was, it was completely crazy. We went from zero to 65 employees in, in uh, 13 months. 13 months, zero to 65. We, we signed up tons of dot coms as customers and that. And then all of a sudden, uh, we started hearing. Um, so that was going great. And, and I started getting uh, acquisition offers from a whole bunch of companies. The funniest thing that happened to me is that we, we were actually uh, integrated with Amazon. Uh, in the morning, I got an email from somebody at Amazon that say, um, your integration um, goes against our terms of service. Uh, you have to stop immediately. Well, that's no good. In the afternoon, I get a an email. <laughs> well, that's an email. understatement of the year. Well, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> the uh, the afternoon, I, it just oh, it happened that the same day, the afternoon, I get a, an email from the corporate development guy at uh, Amazon saying, "We love what you do. We'd like you to come to Seattle to talk to us about uh, potential collaboration, meaning being bought by them." And they just bought my friends for forty million. So oh. uh, um, it was a company called Jungly do comparison shopping. So I'm thinking the world is my oyster, right? Uh, and uh, Yahoo wanted to buy me. And next, next finally, um, CNET, the company is still around, the news, yep. uh, come forward and finally uh, makes an offer. And um, they say, we're going to want to buy you. And um, we're thinking like 60 to $65 million. And I'm uh, the owner of 72% of the stock at the time mm -hmm. because uh, the first time I was a minority shareholder, you like it. So I reflected on it, and luckily for me, I said yes, because if I said no, I would have really given it. And in the meantime, they start the due diligence, and uh, we have a few of our customers customers shutting down. And you know, the, the first to shut down, at the time of the outcome, there was a lot of uh, stupid ideas, like, like you know. Yeah. So the most stupid ideas <laughs> died first, as you would expect. Uh, but then some good ideas were starting to struggle to raise money. And what happened is the whole funding dried up. So all our customers started going under. Mm. And then the stock market went down. So CNET, the CEO, called me and said, listen, I'm sorry, my stock dropped 10%. It was February 2000. Um, I don't know what's happening, but don't you worry. Let me uh, get on a roadshow. I'm going to talk to the investors, explain that we're doing great, and, and then we continue the discussion. So please put them on hold uh, for a few weeks. And at the time, uh, you know, when it always takes human beings a lot of time to adjust their expectations like that. Right. I just thought, yeah, it's nothing, just a few people adjusting, no big deal, it's going, to, it's going to be fine. So I didn't think much of it. And of course, it never came back. The stock continued dropping, all our customers going under. And by the, the end of the year, we were completely desperate. Um, in one, we, we couldn't get funding ourselves. In one day, we went from 65 to 30 people. So I took everybody uh, one after the other and say, you in, you out, you in, you out. And then in the end, we had to pretty close to shut down. And uh, what happened that Microsoft came and said, listen, we do, we're going to uh, do an Acquia hire. So we're going to hire you people and, 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 and some of your assets and uh, in, in um, things. So next thing, um, they offered me to move to Seattle. I said, no, thank you. Next thing I shut down is this huge office space. I looked. I, the box with the papers, I, I locked the, the door 
I called my friend who had converted to Buddhism recently, and I said, I'm ready for you. And I was ready to take a trip to Nepal. Wow. So that's what I did. I went to reflect on my, oh my, on my, uh, on my misery trekking in the Himalayas. Uh, and my, think, my thinking was, you know, there's a lot of people poorer than me. And if I'm exposed to them, maybe I'll feel less miserable, which is exactly what happened. I, okay. I realized that, you know, put things in perspective. And when you're up in the mountains, you forget. So that was the, my, my, um, my rise and my fall with the dot com boom and the dot com bomb. And- wow, that is unbelievable. I love the, I had no idea, like th- that Nepal angle took me uh, by surprise. But that, that is crazy. How, how long did you stay in Nepal? Uh, three weeks. Three weeks. And that, yeah. that was enough to sort of clear your head and then come back and say, now we're going to start something, uh, something new. Yeah, amazing. Like you, you really feel a different world over there. It's, 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 I remember I, I was in the Valley at the time. I was just starting my career and, and uh, I was working at Nortel. They, they had bought um, a startup called Kairos and it was working there. And I remember, you know, month after month, there would be less traffic. That would be how, you know, obvious you could see sort of things going on until, until they eventually completely shut it down. Yeah, how, how, uh, in, in the year before, you couldn't get a U-Haul from the east to the west because everybody was coming to San Francisco. Right. And, and then after the dot bomb, you couldn't get a U-Haul from the west to the east because everybody was moving back. And actually what happened to me, I moved to New York, uh, which I always wanted to live in because uh, you know, now that nothing's happening in San Francisco, I might as well be in a town that I love. How did, uh, what felt worst? Was it the, um, was it like all of a sudden you're, you're, it feels like right before it shut down, you're, your hope got taken to like the stratosphere. I'm going to get acquired and something. It feels almost cruel, but also the human aspect of all of a sudden you had to like fire 30 people that you probably thought at some point were kind of attached to. Like what was, what was the, yeah. the, the darkest uh, yeah, that, thing? That, that, that's uh, by, by far the, yeah, yeah. the worst part because uh, I think we're going to talk about it, uh, about the culture and companies and things, but uh, to, to, to be able to build a startup you, you have to get everybody on a journey towards a, a common goal, right? Like a, a, a dream. And so you are right. on a common goal, it's all going great. And all of a sudden, it um, feels like you betrayed your people. Yeah. You let them down, right? So, so that, that, that was the hardest part. And uh, some people um, um, I know would bounce back, but for others, I, I, I knew it would be harder, right? So some people struggled. And... Um, and um, that, that day for sure, uh, I won't forget. The, the amazing thing is that, uh, um, so it was California. It was, it was super touchy because California had a very strict uh, employee protection law. Mm-hmm. So you know, the layoffs, we didn't have money to pay them severance and all that. And the amazing thing is that uh, everybody understood it and accepted it except one person, which was the person that was least expecting it. So it's this one person who was really going nowhere in her career and I brought her on board and I felt like she owed us so much because we had helped her. And then she's the one who took us to court to, uh, oh. to try to get money from us. Yeah. Oh. Sometimes you get surprised like that. Yeah. But, but, but uh, um, beside that, that's the hardest part because yeah. the, the money, uh, look, it was my second company. I was in my early thirties. Um, I just thought, Okay, it didn't work. It will work next time. Yeah, I'm actually surprisingly uh, 
not very attached to money in that way. Like, you know, like if it's there, it's wonderful. I love money, but if it's not there, I'm fine also. So yeah. that wasn't the biggest part because I already thought I'd, I'd try it again. Um, but the, the, the people, letting people down, that's a hard yeah. part, yeah. The investors piece also, they, they, now that I've made money to investors, I, I feel differently. But at the time, at the time, um, I had some angel investors and actually a small VC also. Uh, and losing their money felt really painful. Also, I, I, I felt it was more of a pride thing. It wasn't like emotional. It was more of a pride yeah. that uh, I, I didn't I got them on the journey and I lost their money. Yeah, people they, tr- people entrusted you with their careers and their money, and you feel yeah. like you've let them down. That's right. Yeah, That's totally. right. And the money thing is is not as I said. I look back. It's their, it's their game. They invest with risk and the risk is there. So I shouldn't have felt bad. I should yeah. have done, I've done my best, but I really felt really bad about losing people's money. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I mean, not cool, but thank you for sharing. That's what uh, it was. Yeah. So, so authentically. I, rem- I remember when I was at Nortel, I just, I needed the help with just distributing envelopes and almost broke me. So I can't even imagine, uh, you know, being in your shoes. Let's, let's move on to maybe, better uh, better times so uh, when we were talking in in, in the sort of uh, pre-show a few uh, a few weeks ago we talked about the fact that when covid hit there's a part of you in your brain that was like shit not this again you know i've played in this movie uh am i going to be the same actor and you know as a i'll call you uh, like a, a i don't want to say survivor as we too much but like you went through the dot the the, the dot com uh, a co- coach a coach. So how no, did no, it a cockroach? You know, you a cockroach. Oh yeah, a cockroach. <laughs> That's it. So tell me about you know what you did different. Like what has that experience brought you that made you feel differently that maybe someone that hasn't gone through that during well, COVID? We, we had bootstrapped the company with Alina, so we never had much cash in our bank account because uh, constantly we're trying to rehire to keep growing. So when COVID hit. Uh, we bootstrap, we didn't have reserves to uh, proxy, and it's exactly what you said. That's that shit, not that again. Because what my experience with the dot 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 bomb um, is that markets are stronger than you. You know, if the the entire market collapses, this is very little you can do. Um, so I thought if that's going to happen again and the market is going to collapse, we need to lose everything. And by then we had built a multi-million dollar business at uh, by 2020. You know, it was very valuable and. Uh, with employees and so at first I freaked out a bit uh, and you know thinking I can't believe it's happening to me again but then I, I thought look just uh, first of all remember how painful it is because we had, we had a, um, a couple of small investors with, uh, that we'd taken and they said you need to lay off uh, you know uh, at least have your staff to, to survive and I thought you know that was the most painful part, the layoff, like we discussed. Yep. And, and breaking the dream is, 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 a, is a very uh, costly move. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I would rather not do that. Um, and I looked at, uh, with annual contracts and renewals and thinking, what, let's look at it objectively instead of uh, reacting at a high level, down to the details. You know, it, it, uh, what is at risk, what is not at risk? So in the end, when looking at that, it felt differently. It didn't feel like uh, the, the markets were going to completely disappear right in front of us. Also, um, there was this payroll protection program that the federal government put together. And that was a beautiful thing, I must say. Like we applied, yeah. it was super fast. We got the money. And uh, so we did that. We, we protected uh, our downside with this payroll protection program. We took some money, $350,000. We... Um, 
we've kept focused on our customers and we continued. And what happened, um, we were right that uh, not all the market collapsed. There were still things happening online and uh, and we continued growing. So uh, so then the world flipped and all these investors who had put everything on hold uh, in February uh, 2020, came back in May, June 2020, thinking, oh my God, the companies that are thriving even with COVID, uh, these are incredible companies. So I, I, I found myself flooded with VC calls uh, to invest in Chile oh. Piper, <laughs> right? Where literally, uh, you know, three months before, and nobody would have taken my calls. Uh, so we, we raised 15 million, uh, one five uh, uh, Series A at that time, and, and then we continue uh, prospering. So, so, you're, so you're saying you stayed calm, basically. You went through this before. You're like, I understand. I'm not going to take this lightly. Firing people is just not taking people off my balance sheet. It's actual human beings. I'm not going through that shit again unless I really, really have to. Yeah, so it's- the, the calm of it allowed you to sort of take a measured look on the market and say, you know, there's there's still capital. This is sanitary um, crisis, not a financial crisis. We're going to get through this. Did it somehow help your business model because maybe people want to book more demos online or is that already kind of 100% of what was going on? I wouldn't say it helped. Uh, it's not like Zoom when everything switched and, uh, mm-hmm. and that uh, because we did lose some customers. There was this beautiful company called Remote Air helping people travel around the world and there right. was no travel so the company shut down mm-hmm. you know, and so that was unfortunate for them and fortunate for us. Um, it, it did not help us and uh, but it just... Uh, there was enough enough uh, business left that we could continue. So it, it, it was the online piece um, helped us survive. But it, we, we, in other words, we, if COVID had not happened, we would have done better again. Okay. Right? But we did gotcha. well enough uh, with COVID. Then you're exactly right. It was about being calm. Often, there's another French saying, uh, which is uh, comparaison n'est pas raison, right? So comparing is not reasoning. Uh, so people say, look, these companies are laying off, uh, you should lay off, have layoffs. And say, Maybe they have layoffs, but it doesn't mean I should have layoffs. I should understand why they have layoffs and why I should have layoffs. So yeah. that's exactly what we did. We look at objectively, uh, we in our team, uh, how can can we make sure that everybody's productive, which customers are going to continue. And and, and based on that, we uh, say, okay, let's continue. Yeah. Got it. Calm. Keep calm. Keep calm. Carry on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got it. Okay. Hey, thank you. Um, I, there's another question I need to ask. We're, we're going to depart yeah. from this. Um, but um, in, in researching the company, I, I understand that you have employees in 165 cities in 35 countries. That blew my mind because we have about 70 employees. They're all in Montreal. And I'm freaking out because I'm trying to hold on to the culture and I'm seeing you know, getting together once in a while, even though people mostly work from home, um, when things are going to go back to where they, like, they're never going to completely go back. I think we all understand that, but I'm sort of struggling with people that are going to choose to stay home, how we're going to sort of have a meaningful emotional connection with those people. And I have the luxury, if you will, of maybe throwing an event here and inviting everyone. You don't. How do you, like, how do you approach this this fundamentally complex and messy problem? Uh, the first thing to know is that uh, it's based on a fundamental belief that Alina and I have, that we are all uh, brothers and sisters all over the world. So Alina is from Romania. I'm from France. Uh, when we started, we started with uh, a guy from Romania and two guys from Ukraine. 
uh, that's how we got started. And we always thought there are smart people everywhere. Wherever they are, we want to uh, hire them. And wherever they want to be is fine with us. So if we hire the guy, ask what happened. The guy from Ukraine moved to Montenegro. He wanted to be by the sea and they were assigned with us. So we have this fundamental belief that we human beings from all these places are not so different. All right. And so uh, we have a lot in common and we're looking for talent uh, and we think of ourselves as a high performance team. Right. So we say, come on the team and the high performance. So what matters is that you have the talent to do the job you want to have. And when you start with this uh, perspective, um, then we put everything in place uh, around that. So, so um, what I mean by that is that there's this deep feeling and belief that that uh, that the company ought to be that way because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And so that helps. Then next you have to, which is more a question, say, how do you make it work? Yeah. And how so, do you operationalize this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah this that's right. Set of that's principles. And that is, we, we, we've learned as we went along about one. So for, for sure, one big thing that uh, is helping is Zoom and Slack, the two things. So we do a lot of the work on Slack and we do uh, once a week uh, a gathering on Zoom. And we are super transparent, a lot more transparent than other companies would be uh, because you, you want that, that sense of trust and belonging. And so... Uh, when I have a board meeting, the day after I show, I show it to the entire company, everything that was presented to the board, um, you know, our cash balance, or projections, uh, everything. Um, you, ha- you have to have that, that you feel that, that uh, we, we all are on the same journey and, yeah. and we're sh- sharing everything. Then we have a few uh, techniques. Uh, one of them is uh, our decision process is based on uh, online uh, solutions. So it's a super fascinating uh, thing. I had heard, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jeff Bezos. I think he's, he's an outstanding uh, leader. And I had heard that he had replaced the uh, PowerPoint at meetings with uh, memos. So instead of right. presenting a PowerPoint, you have to write a six-page memo. So we started doing that for the meetings, say, write a memo. And then we found that because we all distributed, the memo is actually online, right, on Google Doc. So then we said, why don't you share it before the meeting and we can read it. And then we started commenting on the memo, right, ahead of the meeting. Quickly enough, we realized that we don't need the meeting because by the time everybody's commented, the meeting has already happened asynchronously, uh-huh. right? You see, people have, have and it, it's much more effective because you you look at it when you have time, you, you think about it. So we started with this uh, process of a decision memo where whenever there's an important decision, we, we write a doc online and people comment and contribute. And the decision is, is becomes self, um, we don't need meetings anymore. Like we sometimes we have meetings just to finalize something, but we don't need meetings. So it's a it's a it's a fascinating uh, uh, aspect of uh, distribution and asynchronous uh, work that our decisions are made uh, so differently. So Got that it. that enable us to to um, and we do the same thing. We're very transparent on these decision memos. So we involve a lot of people. So people are much more involved and contribute much more uh, to 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 key decisions in in the process. So that's on the decision-making process and meeting is very important. I like then that. We have, then we have a few uh, a few things that are more about uh, culture. So every week we have the animal of the week. So if you're <laughs> familiar with uh, Peter Graham, we say, how do you know if somebody is good? You say, well, you describe that person as an animal. So every week we have an animal of the week, which is the person who's done something outstanding. And then every week we have the unicorn of the week, who is the person who's been most helpful because uh, help is our number one value at Chili Pepper. Okay. So we celebrate that every Friday, um, and 
and it's meaningful. We really mean to reward people with with, uh, with uh, understanding things. Um, and um, and then we have one more thing that uh, that I love. Um, we have a tagline at Chili Pepper called uh, "Make Meetings Happen," right? Because that's our business. We we help uh, people book meetings. And then uh, we started getting together in different cities. So so say uh, we hired somebody like we did in Portland, and she went to South Africa, and we have an employee in South Africa. So they got together. So this is a really good idea that people, when they fly somewhere, they meet people from Chili Piper. So we call that make Piper's meeting happen because we call ourselves Pipers, right? Got it. And we say, if you do that, we're going to pay for your food and your accommodation. For the whole trip? So not the whole trip, just the food and accommodation. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right? So because you, you go somewhere because you want to, but that yep. Piper's meeting, we pay for your food. So now we have Piper's meeting everywhere. It's, it's the most beautiful thing. We, have some, we, we post some in Brazil, some in in Spain a lot, uh, Paris, the, the Cape. The, and so, uh, and the, the nice thing is that it's people from different departments, right? So because it just happened that uh, somebody in product management is, is in Poland where we have some designer and they get together. Right now we have people in Sri Lanka, right? So our designer is meeting our customer success in Sri Lanka. And so that this Make Piper's meeting happened is... Uh, is completely beautiful. You see these, these people from different countries between, between other countries. And, and that's a, a big part of our culture, actually, Piper. This big belief that uh, we should meet, we should party, and, and we are uh, all uh, brothers and sisters from all over the world. Very so, inspiring. So, yeah. yeah. Very inspiring. So, I'm, 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 uh, I'm envious of, uh, of what you've successfully done. I'm going to tell you, I'm envious of the life of some, some of our employees. You know? Yeah, yeah. Work, work from anywhere. Well, yeah, that is. Lady, right now, was skiing in Italy. You know, she skis in the morning and work in the afternoon. Uh, we have some some of our team uh, in in Medellin, in Colombia. Uh, they live there, which is a beautiful place. So, uh, it, this whole remote thing enables uh, people to have a really amazing life. Yeah, the, the first time I've ever seen it was uh, I think a year ago. Uh, four or five developers decided to rent the, the beach house, and then they logged in on the Zoom, and it was like, "Where the hell are you guys?" And they they had just decided <laughs> they did it, and then it's like it makes no difference. It's uh, yeah. and you know, except for the fact that they're potentially happier and have more energy and all that stuff. So, That's hey, listen, right. Nicholas, we're over our time, but it's because it was freaking fascinating. Thank you so much for for sharing so freely and so authentically. I, I'm really, really super grateful. Yeah, thanks, Eric. I enjoyed it. All right. Good luck with the Chili Piper and everything. Have a good Thank one. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Skunk Works. We'll see you again next time. And be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.